I was driving in the car on the way down and the Holy Ghost started to minister to me something. Uh, and it has nothing to do with my message tonight. And, uh, but the thought of not saying it is more painful than saying it, even if it means my, the plan for tonight changes. And maybe it won't, I don't know. Maybe I can just say it and then be done with it. But it would hurt, I just, I can't not say it. I'm trying not to say it. I said, Lord, don't let me, I don't want to get distracted. I, I have a message to bring tonight. But he asked me something in the car. He said, do you remember? Do you remember what Dad Hagen said? And then he, he told me, because it's too vague, obviously. He said, do you remember what Dad Hagen said when he talked about how he asked me, where are all the miracles? Where are the demonstrations of power like we saw in the early days, God? We don't see them anymore like we saw in the early days. Why is that? And he would say to the Lord, Lord, I've, I've grown as a minister. My consecration is greater to you than it was in the early days. My life is more pleasing to you. I've paid a heavier price than I did in the earlier days. My prayer life is stronger. I've prayed out the plan of God more. I'm more skillful. I've learned more. I'm paraphrasing, but he told God, he said, Father, if you could move back then, and I was not where I am today spiritually, why is it that we're not seeing the power of God like we did in the early days? And the Lord answered him. Pastor Nancy's preached on it talked to me privately about it at the table over dinner more than once, but also preached about it at different times. And the Lord answered him, and the gist of what the Lord said to him was, when he asked God about that, the Lord said, it's not, it's not you that is where the lack is, where the disconnect is. The Lord said, it's the people. He said, the people are not hungry for a move of my spirit like they were in the early days. And he said, but Lord, I'm asking you. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm asking you. I'm crying out for that. And the Lord dealt with him and said, I can only go so far with what you're asking the people. The people have to hunger. There has to be that hunger that comes into them. If they don't hunger for it, I can't move the same way, no matter how hungry you are, son. That's hard for a minister to hear. Because sometimes ministers, I think, believe, erroneously so, but we convince ourselves it's the truth, but it's not the truth. That as long as we're seeking God, and as long as we're hungry, and as long as we're living right, and as long as we're praying and putting Him first, and preaching the best we can preach, and doing the best we know to do, challenging the people the best we know to challenge them and living living fulfilling the plan and the vision the best we know to do that as long as we're doing that that God's going to move because he's going to honor it just for us and while there is maybe a measure a kernel of truth in there somewhere it's not really how it works
It seems that every great move of God was because the people hungered, or at least a section of the people hungered on behalf of the other, the rest of the people. God moved in Argentina in the 1950s, not because the entire nation hungered for him, but there was a group of people that hungered for him and stood in the gap on behalf the Holy Ghost came on me in the car as I was driving and that deep that deep sorrow that God feels came on me believe me it's supernatural because it's not me I couldn't conjure that in my own ability it's not just emotionalism although it's expressed emotionally but it's of the spirit and that thing started churning in me and it continued in the back room and it continued when I got up to the pulpit and I said Lord that's not that's not the message for tonight that's not what I have planned let me talk about this another time I'll talk about this another time but it just this wave would come and it would lift and another wave would come and it would lift and another wave like what just happened a few seconds ago and it would lift that's the anointing that's the anointing coming on me in, a, in an unusually strong way it's almost like it grips me. I'm still in full control of my members. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm not slain in the spirit, so to speak, but it grips my spirit and I can feel the heart of God so clearly. And you say, Pastor, what is that? God is letting me feel by the help of the Holy Ghost, his great sadness and his great sorrow that his people are not at the place of hunger where he so desperately desires them to be because unless they get to that place unless there are people that cry out to him unless there's people that make up the hedge and stand in the gap for the rest he cannot move in his power the way he so desperately wants not just in our church but also for our city I'm not even thinking about our city right now. I'm just trying to get our church where it should go and be and have this manifestation of the glory in our own church. It, it seems that to try to think about Toronto is just beyond what I can handle right now. It's, we don't even have it in our church. Why are we thinking about the city when we don't even have it in our church? But if we can get it in our church, then it will start to grow and it will start to spill over the borders and the boundaries of our church walls and it will start to spread through the city. A lot of people talk about saving the city. Why don't you just focus on saving your own church? If you can't even handle 300, 400, 500 people, why are we talking about four or five million? But the Holy Ghost gripped me repeatedly, repeatedly in the last 45 minutes. And I, it's a spiritual thing. It's not a natural or an emotional thing, although it's expressed emotionally because that's the way God made us. It has to filter through my mind and my will and my emotions in order for me to speak it to you, which is why sometimes there's emotions demonstrated. But it's not from, it didn't originate in my soul. It originated in my spirit and is being expressed through my soul to you as the congregation. But he, he's gripping me. He was gripping me that way very strongly because he was letting me feel what he feels. He was letting me feel his sadness and his sorrow that he can't get the supernatural over the way he wants to because the people don't hunger. 
the way he needs them to and don't cry out to him and for him the way he needs them to. And as a result of that domino effect, if we don't cry out with hunger, he can't do. Dad Hagen was broken hearted. God was broken hearted when he told Dad Hagen that. It's not just you, son, it's the people. The people don't hunger for me the way they did in the early days. And because of that, they limit my ability to move among them. That can almost make a minister feel hopeless. It doesn't, but it, it almost makes the minister feel like, well, no matter what I do, doesn't matter what I do, because if the people don't get on board, Lord, there's a limit to what you can do. So the key is getting the people on board. Now, it doesn't make us hopeless as ministers, but it, it does make us deeply moved to pray for the congregation. If this is a requirement for God to do things in our midst, that the people get really hungry for him, really hungry for him, and really cry out to him. I'm not just talking about personal devotions for 35 minutes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that, something deep, deep, deep in your spirit that begins to bubble and boil that's deeper maybe than you've ever felt before and a longing for God and a longing for God's spirit, not, not just in the church house, but in your home, his presence in your home, his glory to show up in your home and obviously also in the church house, but a longing for him that starts to push out from your life every other thing. It starts to push out the desire, let's say, for media and entertainment, not that that's sinful, but, that, but it starts to push that out. That thing loses its, in, its, its, its major interest to you, begins to lessen. And, and he pushes out another thing. Maybe so, maybe uh, not that it's wrong, but all these extracurricular activities and this and that. That hunger is like a supreme quality. And it begins to push out things that are not wrong, if, if they're wrong, if they're weights and sins, definitely that hunger pushes that stuff out first. But then the, what's left in your life is not wrong. It's not sin and it's not even a weight. It's not even a hindrance. It's just life. But that hunger, that supreme quality of hunger begins to push out. It begins to make a path. It be, doesn't mean that those things are, are not a part of your life anymore because some of them you have to do. But instead of everything being crowded and focused, and, and, and it begins to push it out and it begins to push it out of the way and it pushes it out and it makes a path. It makes a path for you that the, the most important thing in your life, that doesn't mean you don't do these things, but they're satellite things. And he begins to push a path in front of you. And he says, now this is the most important thing in your existence. This is the supreme reason you exist. And that deep hunger for God and to seek him becomes that primary path. That doesn't mean you don't have to turn your attention once in a while to the other things that are there. Can, you, can they see that on the camera, Peter? Can they see this pulpit, what I'm doing? That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that you're not doing this thing and you're not doing this thing and you're not doing this thing and you're not doing this thing. But instead of them all crowding in on you and, and demanding the focus and the attention of your time and of your life, that deep supreme hunger... And it's of the Holy Ghost. It is not created naturally. You can't just decide to be hungry. You can to a measure, but what I'm talking about is from God himself. It's a deep hunger that begins to well up within you. It's something that really is almost aside from you. 
you can't almost really even take the credit for it because it's from God. Now, the fact that it's coming up in you is because somebody is praying for you. Because if it, if it wasn't for somebody paying the price to pray, then that wouldn't be there. It would just be life as normal, life as usual. But somebody pays a price and somebody's praying. And God, because of those prayers, can begin to deal with you. Because they've cried out on your behalf, He can now focus His finger on you. And He can put and plant something in you that maybe you never had before. And this deep, supreme hunger begins to rise where nothing else on this earth is as important if all the other noise, all the other sounds, all the other things demanding your attention begin to wane, begin to, it's, it's, like, it's like they begin to come less important, less important, and things begin, not that they're out of your life, but they're beginning to be pushed aside so that your attention is not so crowded and distracted, but that this path of crying out and seeking God is really the thing you think about when you first wake up. It's a thing you think about when you last go to sleep. And it's a thing you think about all day long at different times because there's something in you, you almost feel like you're not yourself. There's something in you that is deep. It's a deep hunger for God. And it doesn't necessarily overwhelm you from one day to the next, but it can start, you can start to sense it. So if God told Brother Hagen, I can't even do the things that I, don't, I want to do unless the people hunger. You're hungry, son, but they have to hunger. In the early days, they hungered so I could move. But in modern society, there's so much distraction. There's so much that is competing with God. There's so much competing with waiting on Him and seeking Him and getting hungry. And the devil will make sure that there's 101 things ready to go at a moment's notice to pull your attention away. And he'll try with me too. But I'm telling you in the car, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that any more than I was expecting a tornado. But he, he asked me that question and he gripped me and, he, and, he, and I felt that grip come more than once. Like he was arresting my spirit man. That he was allowing me to enter into his feelings on this issue. And that deep, that deep desire in God, that deep sorrow almost for the people that because the people won't hunger for him because they, everything else is more important. That is, a, that is a heartbreak to God. Why? Because if they don't hunger and if they don't pay that price, he cannot operate the way he wants to. And he so desperately wants to. So it's a domino effect. They have to do their part so he can do his part. If they don't do their part, he, he, it's sad to him because he, can't, he knows he can't do his part. And just because a preacher hungers and prays is not enough. The people have to. So he gripped me on that and, I, and, I, and, I, and so I started to pray that out in the Holy Ghost and really standing in the gap for the congregation. You say, Pastor, what was happening? What were you doing? I'm, I'm standing in the gap for the congregation. I'm interceding on behalf of the congregation. I'm asking God to forgive the congregation for all the distraction and all the carnality. And listen, we're a, we're a pretty good group of people overall. I mean, we've got some things down pat that a lot of other churches don't. We understand tithing. We understand unity. We, I, you know, when I say understand, we're not perfect at it, but we're growing in it. Even during a time like this where there's shattering in so many places and so many churches are struggling and people are leaving and they're financially going under, we're not. We, we, we are a strong group of people. We are, we are 
further ahead than the average. Can I put it that way without making your, hat, your head so fat that your hat won't fit? Do you know what I mean when I say that? So I don't give you a, 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 a pride complex. But I'm saying compared to the average general church out there, we are definitely further ahead. And so I'm, I, come, I commend you for that. But yet God, the, the, desire, the potential of what God wants to do is so much greater than anything we've ever seen or heard or even imagined before. It's so much greater and yet that cannot be fulfilled just because I pray. It has, it can only be fulfilled if the people begin to hunger for God. So he obviously is going to first deal with me. Because if I'm not hungry for God, it's not going to come down on the people. I'm like a gateway to the congregation. That doesn't mean you can't get it independent of me. Of course you can. But if the pastor's not even connected and not even hungry, not even on the same page, the congregation's not going to receive what they need to receive. So he starts with me, but not just with me being hungry, but he starts with me by putting that burden on me, by putting that intercession on me. He's putting that on me because he's trying to let me understand a principle and a truth here. That the congregation have to get to a place. They have to, over time, I'm not saying overnight, over time, they have to get to a, in other words, I'm not trying to put pressure on you that breaks you or guilt or condemnation, that's not the Holy Ghost. His deep desire and his deep conviction for these things is not condemnation. But he, 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 he wants me to hunger, but more than that, he wants me to pray and intercede for the congregation that they would hunger. Do you understand what my role is? My role is twofold. My role is to live it personally and live it, breathe it when I'm not in this building and not be a hypocrite and really live it and really hunger for God and do my part personally for my life, for my family's life. That's, my, that's one role. But I have a second role. The first has to, it's an order. You have to do that first or you don't qualify for the second. But I, I'm doing that and I'm doing it more and more and better and better as time passes. But there's a second role that I have. It's not just to personally see God in hunger, but it's also for to yield my vessel to God to stand in the gap and make up the hedge like the Bible says on behalf of the congregation and to pray and stand in the gap for you and ask God to come upon you and ask God to fill you with this deep hunger. I don't know what the word is. Unsatisfied. Nothing satisfies. Nothing, nothing makes you feel satisfied until you find that place in God. Nothing satisfies you until presence comes in your room. Nothing satisfies you until you connect with him on that deeper level. TV, this, that, media, whatever, all the stuff, nothing. It's all has its place, but it, it's all empty. There, It's empty shells. It's hollow compared to what he is and who he is and what he has. It's nothingness. Like Paul says, I count it as dung. I count it as, I count it as feces. It's, it's nothing compared to knowing him and compared to finding him, compared to that deeper place with him, compared to the glory of God. We've got to get to that place, congregation, where that hunger 
pushes out everything else in our life some of it out for good and some of it just out to the outskirts it's still accomplished it's still in its right place but it doesn't take our main focus our path is clear and we're living it and we're doing it now part of my job is to do that personally but also to intercede for you so that that hunger and that revelation what i'm talking about would come into you and that you would begin to feel that low rumbling boil of God coming on you and putting his heart in you and putting his desires in you where nothing satisfies you and the hunger is so deep and so rolling and so so of a supernatural quality you can't even express it in English you don't know how to express it you're just hungry for God and you want God and you need God to move not just in your own not just finances that's just one part of it not just with your family getting saved. That's just another small part of it. You want God to move. You want God to take over you. You want God to possess you. You want God to move in the congregation, move in our midst, move with glory and power. And you can't think about anything else and nothing else satisfies you. And yes, you have to give attention to certain things in life because we're living in this world and we've got to, we're not hermits. We have to take care of business. But something is constantly prevailing. Something is constantly on your mind. Something is constantly with you. Something never leaves you. A deep rumbling roar, a deep boil of the Holy Ghost is always there. And it's growing and it's growing. And week after week and month after month, it gets a little bit stronger. It gets a little bit stronger. And it's growing and it's bubbling and it's growing. And these things have lost their limelight. They've lost their affection in your heart. You still have to do some of them because it's life, but you, you, you're not, they don't satisfy you the way that they used to satisfy you because there's something in you. You can't quite explain it, but it's deep and it's spiritual and it's in your spirit, man, and it's beginning to rise up. That's what I'm praying when I get in the spirit and that intercession comes on me and those weepings come on me like tonight, like earlier before I was on the camera in, in the green room praying and, 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 and with that deep that deep emotion from the Holy Ghost being expressed on behalf of the congregation. That's why the Holy Ghost is gripping me because he's saying, son, I need the people to get this. It's got to be birth of the spirit. It can't just be birthed out of their mind. I'm going to grip you with this. I'm going to ask you to pray for them. I'm going to ask you to yield your vessel, pray and intercede and stand in the gap so that through your prayers, I can begin to influence them. I can influence as they sleep. I can influence them on the job. I can grab their attention. I can start planting in their hearts this deep rumbling roar and boil of hunger that they've maybe never had before. Similar to what you have, son, but I've got to get the people on board. It can't just be you. I told Dad Hagen, it can't just be you. The reason I moved in the early days is because the people hungered for me. But now they don't hunger for me the same. You're hungering, son, but I need the people to hunger. I'll do as far as I'm able with the amount of hunger that you have. But I'm looking for the people en masse to hunger for me because then I can do all that is in my heart. Now, why would God come to me and interrupt that, the, what I planned? Why would he come to me? with such an unusual and such a, in some ways, overwhelming emotionally experience. He's coming to me because he sees what he wants to accomplish in the future. And he sees that at the state where we're at right now in our spirituality, we are not hungering sufficiently for him to pour out of himself. Like he said in Joel, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. That is still a conditional promise. The people have to hunger. 
The people have to pay a price. Anna and Simeon had to hunger. They had to hunger. They had to pay a price to birth the ministry, to birth the life of Jesus into the earth, just to get him in. John the Baptist crying in the wilderness, which speaks of intercession. Yes, he was preaching, but there was a cry of his spirit that was going up to God. He was standing in the gap for an entire generation. He was crying out to God, praying. It's a type and shadow of intercession and calling upon God. And he was, he was birthing the ministry of Jesus. There was a heavy price that John had to pay to birth in the realm of the spirit, the ministry of the prophet to come after him. And there was a heavy price that Anna and Simeon had to pay to birth the ministry, to birth the very life of Jesus to come into this earth realm at that time in history. It was a heavy price. And God, I'm telling you, he's looking for people to pay a heavy price. Don't let the word heavy price throw you. Don't let it bother you. Don't let it make it feel like it's hard, heavy and hard or different. Just because it's a heavy price, there's a grace, there's an anointing that comes on you and a desire that he puts in you to pay that price. It's not like you're doing manual hard labor like in a prison. Yes, it's a heavy price, but heavy and hard are two totally different things. A heavy price does not mean it has to be a hard price. Now, it might be hard on your flesh a little bit when God says pray and you don't feel like it. When God says wake up, you don't feel like it. When God says fast, you don't feel like it. When God says don't do that sin and you, and you want to do that sin, yes, that's hard on your flesh. But the Bible tells us to crucify our flesh, so it shouldn't be that much of a stretch that it's hard on our flesh. Get your flesh dead. But once that flesh is out the way, it's not hard in the spirit spirit, it's a heavy price, but it's not hard. Remember, the Bible says that the, 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 the desires of God, I'm, I'm, mis, I'm misquoting it, but he said, my, my, my things are not laborsome. What's the word, Taylor? What he said, my, 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 my instructions, my what? My, my instructions. I don't know what the word, that's not the exact word in the King James, but my instructions to you, my desires for you are not laborsome, the Bible says. That means hard, heavy laden, heavy and hard. It's not hard and burdensome, but it is still a heavy price. It does take, it requires something of us, but it should not be hard in terms of a, 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 a burden and a labor that, that we hate to do. Our flesh doesn't like it, but I'm assuming the flesh is out of the way and crucified and that we're living out of our spirit man. Then a desire, he puts in you a desire for this kind of hunger and to seek him and to pray and to sacrifice. He actually puts a desire in you. Now, if you want to do something, it's not that hard to do. It still might be a heavy price, but it's not hard because he, put, he puts the desire. You can't even take the credit for the desire. He puts the desire in you and it starts to bubble up. The desire starts to bubble up and then you start to live it and start to execute it in day-to-day -day living. But that's maybe a heavy price, but it's not a hard price. And so the Lord dealt with me. He's, he just, I didn't expect it. It was out of the blue. But it shows me that God's mind, he's thinking about the future. He's thinking about what he wants to do in promise of life. He's thinking about the last day great revival. He's thinking about right now, the immediate season in Hebron. He's thinking about the future. Whether it's three months from now or seven years from now, he's thinking about the future and what he wants to do. And he knows that me and a few others are really praying and seeking him. But he was drawing my attention to the fact that, son, don't get, don't just get, you know, don't just, when you just kind of sit back on your haunches and you just kind of get 
You know, you just kind of get lackadaisical. Don't get lackadaisical thinking that because you and one or two other people are praying that that's going to be enough. I told Brother Hagen, and I'm reminding you what I told Brother Hagen, that the reason I can't do things is because the people don't hunger like they did in the early days. So son, I need you to pray for the people. You're already hungering and you'll continue and it will continue growing, but I need you to pray for the people. And I'm going to put an anointing on you and I'm going to grab you from time to time. And even if I don't grab you, I still want you to yield your vessel when you don't feel any anointing to pray for the people. It's so much easier when he puts that anointing on you, I'm telling you. But whether he puts it on you or not, he, he's asking me to pray for the people, to pray for you. So that God, because of my sacrifice, because of the heavy price, not the hard price, the heavy price, because I pay that price and others pay that price with me, that God now has a divine right because I've stocked the shelves in the spirit around you. Remember the Bible says in James that tremendous power is available because the prayer of the righteous man, it makes tremendous power available. Doesn't mean that the person will latch onto it, but it's available to them. If I will pray, He'll make, he'll make things, I'll make things in the spirit available so that if you will reach out, the Holy Ghost is right there. He's made things available for you. And if you would yield to that, that hunger will start coming in you and it will start bubbling up and it will push all the other things out of its way and it will become the driving force in your life. A hunger for a move and, a, and, and, a, and the glory of God in your house and in the church and in the world. We don't just need it in the church, we need it in your house. And we don't just need it in your house, we need it in the church. And we don't just need it in your house and the church, we need it in the world. We need it in the grocery stores and the streets. But let's just focus on getting it in the church here and in your house there. Let's focus on that first. Because you can't got nothing, you don't got nothing for the world if you don't have it in the church and if you don't have it in your home at home. Do you hear me? So he started putting this deep burden on me. Pray for them, son. Pray for them. I could feel his heart. I'm telling you, I could feel the heart of God the Father, the brokenness of his heart, the depth. The de I don't know, English words fail me. Adjectives fail me to express it to you the way I felt it. The deep, supreme desire of God. The almost brokenness of his heart that his people are so distracted and so carnal that he loves you and he's got so much planned for us, but he needs the people to look to him. He needs them to get away from the distractions and focus on him and call upon him and pray and cry out to him. He needs the people to hunger like they've never hungered before. That deep burning desire in God's heart he gave me, if he put the whole thing in me, I'd explode. A human vessel cannot handle the things of God the Father. But he puts one tiny fleck, one tiny grain of sand of that amazing depth of hunger that he has for, he's hungry, his hunger for the people to hunger, his desire for the people to want him, his great supreme desire and want for the people to seek him. I can only handle a grain of sand, a fleck of that power, or I would, my body couldn't handle it. But he drops just a fleck of it in me, and it overwhelms me. That fleck overwhelms me. And I began to weep, and I began to cry, and I began to cry out for the congregation and intercede with weepings and groanings, and groanings that cannot be uttered in articulate speech, according to Romans 8:26. And praying, oh God, touch the people, touch the people. Lord, touch them, put this hunger in them, put your hunger in them, 
Put the desire in them for you. Put the hunger in them for you. Help them to separate life and begin to seek you like they've never sought you before. Lord, put a slow boil and a slow rolling boil in them that begins to grow with every passing day and every passing week. The things that seemed important lose their meaning, lose their importance. And some stuff they can put aside and they can say, I won't touch that again. And other stuff, it's part of life. You've got to do it, but they'll, they'll do it less. They'll do it minimally because this path before them Oh, it's, it's consuming them. You say, Pastor Craig, what you're saying, I don't feel. I know. That's why, I'm, that's why God is having me pray. Because life as usual, it's not going to birth a revival. It's not. Life as usual is not going to birth a revival in the realm of the Spirit. It took a heavy price for John and it took a heavy price for Anna and for Simeon. But when God saw the price being paid, God moved. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, let me say this to you. When he came on me in those waves before and here, he came on me in those waves. Pray for the people, son. Pray out for them so I can touch them and I can put this in them because many of them don't have it. Now, if you'll wait, listen to me. If you will wait on God long enough, he'll put it in you direct regardless of whether I pray for you or not. But most people are not disciplined to wait on God to the measure that it takes. So he'll use the prayers of the saints because he knows that person won't do it because they're too busy and they're too cold-hearted. They love God. They love God. They show up. They tie. They do all these things. They lift their hands. But when it comes to really putting stuff aside and really seeking him, they're not that interested because life calls their name and they're going to answer the life call instead of the God call. But that's why he puts it, that's why he puts burdens on people to pray for you and pray for people like that. So that God now, because of the prayers, because the sacrifice and the price paid of those intercessors, now God can intervene and he can start to directly influence those people, which otherwise he wouldn't have been able to do. But because of the intercessors, he can now begin to drop things into people. And what they would not have accomplished by their own seeking of God, because they're too distracted and too busy, now God supernaturally has divine rights that he can drop things in them. Now they can squash that and it can come to nothing, but if they will just respond a little bit, that deep desire, that deep hunger for God, that deep hunger for God will begin to grow and grow. It won't be overnight, but it will come. It will grow and grow and grow and grow, and it will start slowly pushing things out of the way. It will start slowly removing things that are not as important, because nothing is as important as that. And now that individual that maybe otherwise wouldn't have sought God on their own long enough for that, but because of the prayers of the intercessors, God was able to help and give them a boost, so to speak. Drop something in them supernaturally that they didn't deserve and they didn't earn, but the prayers of the intercessors allowed God to target that person. And if that person will just yield a little bit and just not be, not squash it, but just take that ember, that tiny little flame and just, just, just work with it and blow on it. 
it will just start slowly, but it will start to build and build and build and build until after some time passes, you won't even recognize yourself. You'll say, I don't know what is, I don't know what's wrong with me. There's not something wrong with you. There's something right with you. I don't understand why I've just lost the interest of things that I was so interested in. I, I, I don't know. I just, they're not even necessarily wrong things. I just, I don't really think about them anymore. I just, I just think about one thing. I just can't get one thing off my mind. I just love God so much. And I, I want to, I want him to show up in my life. And I, I want his glory. I want to know him. Anything else is dung. I, I want to know him. I feel like Paul where he said, I count all things lost with the suppressing knowledge of knowing him. I just want to know him and I want to, I want him to become so real to me and I, I want his presence to come into my prayer closet and I, I want his power to move in, in the church services and I want his glory to overshadow me when I go out into the highways and byways and without even trying to witness, I just want people to notice and see something's on you. I don't know what it is, but God's on you. Who are you? Tell me who you are. I don't know what it is about you, but I see God on you. There's glory on you. Lord, that's what I want more than anything else. That's what I want. And that hunger starts to, starts to bubble and starts to grow and starts to boil and starts to grow and starts to grow. And slowly, it doesn't happen overnight. It can take months, sometimes even years. But if you'll just be faithful, God will slowly begin to shift things that are not as important. Some things you'll still always do because it's part of life, like your job, like this, like that, like other things. Not everything. You, you got to live. You're not a hermit. But they become, instead of crowding you, stealing your attention, they, they, they have their right place in terms of God setting them in what he considers their right place. Because a lot of us have things and we consider it the right place. And God's thinking, we'll never have revival with your life looking a jumbled mess like that. No, no, that has, it's still there, Craig, but it has to be over here. And this is still important. You're going to have to still do this. It's natural. But it has to be way over on here. In other words, it takes the least amount of time required. And this thing, it's important, but it's over here. And let's see, that's how, if I was God speaking, that's how I see it in its right place, son. So that your focus is undeterred and your, your attention is unmolested. And the path that you're to walk and this hunger that I'm building in you to seek me. And to pray out for this move of God is the most important thing. You think about it when you wake up, you think about it when you go to sleep, and you think about it all day long. It, you're almost obsessed. It almost consumes you, but not in a negative way or in a strange way. Because you've still got the rest of life in its right place. You're not, you're not take, you know, some people, they get weird. The Holy Ghost will never lead you to be so overwhelmed and consumed with something that you don't take care of your children. Or that, you know, and here's, a, here's a classic one. I can't come to church because I have to pray. Well, that violates the word because he says, don't forsake the gathering. So he'll never have you so full of this thing where now you stop coming to church. Because now you just have to see God. That's anti-scriptural. But there's so much other time in the week where he will say, put that aside, put that aside, lessen this, remove this. I want your focus on me. I, there's something I'm trying to birth in Toronto. There's something I'm trying to do in a very dark city with very big devils. But my glory can overwhelm them. My glory can come like a hurricane. My glory can be so powerful. It's like a fly against a hurricane. But it's going to take my glory from the throne room itself, pour it out in majesty and power for that hurricane to form. And it won't happen with people living life as usual. I've got to find a group 
I've got to find people that are willing to put things aside. I've got to find people willing to hunger for me because if they'll hunger for me, I'll move in their midst. Now I'm seeing a group that is further ahead, promise of life further ahead, but they're not where they're not even close to where they need to be. So tell them, Craig, you're their pastor. Tell them, don't get all pat you on the back thinking that you've arrived. Tell them they're doing good. I commend them. But tell them there's a long way to go still to fulfill the plan of God. And it's going to come because they begin to hunger and they begin to pray. And if they won't wait on me long enough for me to directly get that seed into them of hunger, then son, you begin to pray for them so that because of your prayers, I can put that seed of hunger in them so that over time it will push things out and they'll begin to say, God, this is all I want. This is all I want. This is all I want. And then he said to me that I'm, I'm saying it in different ways because the way he says it to me is so quick and so short and so simple because it's like a nuclear pulsating core and then in order for me to explain it, I have to add words to it and add, say it in different ways and in different sentences so that your mind can capture the greatness and the magnitude and the glorious splendor of this, what he's saying. But then he also dropped this. He said, now you, I'm, I'm, putting, that on, I'm putting that on you tonight. And at times in the future, I'll put it on you more to begin to pray for them. But then he said this, and this is important that you don't miss this. He said, and not only you, son, are you listening to me? Please listen to me very carefully. He said, not only you, son. He said, I'm putting this same deep desire, this gripping, almost brokenheartedness from God with weepings and intercession for the people because he so badly wants to fulfill his plan in the earth through us but he, he needs the people to hunger after him otherwise he can't do what he wants to do and he said I'm, I'm going to put that same sense that same hunger that same uh, intercession that same brokenness that same anointing that I gripped you with he said I want, I'm going to put that on some of your people that are open to it and that, are, and that are positioned for it now do you listen to what he said it means some people are positioned for it and other people are not because he said some. In other words, there's some in our congregation that are positioned for God to be able to drop that on them so that they can pray for the people that are not positioned. And my Promise of Life congregation, there's a lot of people in our church that are not positioned. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. They're great people and I love them. And God's not mad at you. This is not condemnation. This is a journey. You're all on a journey with me. Don't beat yourself up and don't let the devil beat you up because I'm certainly not beating you up and neither is God the Father. The facts are that everybody's on a, a journey and everybody has different pressures and problems and, and failures and life situations and traumas that they've gone through and that they're going through. And God understands all of that. He's not mad at people, but the facts remain. There are some that are more positioned because they're seeking God more in general. And there's others that are not as positioned because they're they're so busy and distracted that they don't really have that much time for God. Well, God can't put that on the person that never prays and doesn't have a prayer life. But God can put this on the person that does pray and does have a prayer life. And he can drop that on certain ones in the congregation that are positioned because they're hungry already and they're praying already. I'm telling you, if you're hungry already and you're praying already, you better get ready and you better put your seatbelt on because I'm telling you as your pastor and I'm saying it prophetically by the Holy Ghost, I'm speaking to you by the Spirit. It. Those of you that are hungry, that have a measure of that, that are positioned, a measure of being rightly positioned, you better watch out and you better put your seatbelts on because I'm telling you, don't be surprised. In fact, 
expect it to happen because he told me he's going to start putting it on more people in the congregation that are positioned right meaning that are already seeking God to a measure, already hungry to a measure, that know how to pray, that are, that are rightly positioned. He loves everybody the same, but some are rightly positioned and others are not. He's going to put that on some of you that are more rightly positioned because of your prayer lives and because of your hunger. I'm telling you, you plumb expect it to happen because it's going to happen. And sometimes he might wake you up in the middle of the night. Don't grieve the Holy Ghost. Wake up. It's better to go without sleep than grieve him. Sometimes he'll ask some of you to fast. Don't grieve him. It's better to fast than grieve him. Even though it's hard on your body, it's better to do that. Sometimes he'll ask you to take your prayer, your, your lunch hour and pray. Don't grieve him when he starts to tell you that yield willingly and quickly to him because some of you that are rightly positioned he's going to put that that deep desire that anointing that intercession that those weepings on you for you and pray it out when he does why because when you pray it out you're praying for the rest of the congregation that are not rightly positioned some of it because of their own fault because they're carnal and some of it is not necessarily because they're carnal it's because they're broken and they're hurting and they're going through trouble and they're going through problems that you have no idea what they're going through through and their heart is broken and their finances are broken and their emotions are broken and don't sit and judge them you don't know what they're going through but God sees that their hearts are right they're just not positioned because either they're too busy they're too distracted or they're too broken and yes some of them just plumb flat out carnal buckets but God still loves them and he sees that there's potential in them and so he asks us to pray so that through our intercession he has a right now to go directly into them while they sleep while they wake and he plants this divine nuclear seed of power in them this hunger begins to grow now if they smash that if they trample it underfoot if they utterly reject it then God has done all that he can do and we have done all that we can do and either they'll stay and just go along for the ride, but they won't, be, they won't be bearing fruit themselves, and they won't have much part to play in this revival. When they get to heaven, they'll have to give an account for that. Or they'll get offended with us and leave, and when they leave, good riddance, let them leave, because we're not going to let anybody hinder this move of God. We're going to believe God to bring the right people and the right money. We're not going to just try to pander and cater to everybody so nobody is offended. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want anybody to leave. But I don't want people to stay and block the move of God by trying to control me or by trying to cause mischief in the congregation and spread deceit and lies and disunity and anger. No, 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 no. But I don't believe most people will utterly reject it and stamp it underfoot. I believe that when that hunger and desire starts to bubble, maybe not because they waited on God, but because others prayed for them. And I believe when that, big, that, that bubbling and that low rumbling boil starts, that they won't trample it and say, no, I reject it. They'll embrace it and they'll breathe upon that flame and they'll say, help me, Holy Ghost. I want this more. I, I've been this and that, you see my life, but I want it more. My heart's pure. I want it more. Help me. And then they start to pray themselves. And some that we never thought would ever be prayer warriors all of a sudden become prayer warriors. And some that look so distracted and so carnal now have the glory of God upon their face. And they're hungering and they're moving things in their life to the right place so that they're undeterred in their attention and their affection on this master path where God is saying, do your life, but your assignment in the earth, the reason you breathe oxygen, the reason I put you here, the reason you're in promise of life 
is because you are required to pray and to call upon me and birth this revival in the spirit and get so hungry you almost can't take it. You don't even understand yourself. All you want is God. All you care about is God. All you call upon is God. You desire him more than even breath itself. God, you must move in my home. You must move with my children. You must move in the church services. You must move in the grocery stores. You must move on the streets. You must move in my office environment. God, I'm consumed. I'm utterly consumed by the desire to see you move. This, my brother, cannot be explained in the mind or in the natural realm. It's a divine, supernatural anointing that God puts in you and it overtakes you. But He has got to put it in you. If you'll wait on Him long enough, He will put it in you directly. But if you're not, He still loves you. There's still hope for you. Others can pray that God can put it in you and He will because of their prayers. If you will just, just woo it. Just breathe upon that flame and let it grow and let it grow. All the things that you thought were so important will seem like nothing to you. They will seem like dung and feces to you. Why did Paul say I count it as dung? Why didn't he use another descriptive word? Why did he say I count all these things like they're an old book that I don't need to read anymore. Why did he use the word dung? That's feces. Because Paul's trying to tell us something. When God consumes you, when God takes over your being and fills you to the uttermost with himself, not only are these other things in life less important, not only do they not hold a candle to him, but, the, but they're not just an old book that you can put in a bookcase and forget about. They actually become something repulsive to you. Dung and feces is repulsive. What's, why did God had Paul pen the word dung? Because he was trying to get over, I can so feel your life. That these things not only are just not important, but they're actually the enemy. They're your enemy. They're repulsive to you. You have to do some of them because it's life, but you do it, get it over with because your focus is God. Do you understand? Especially the things that are sins and weights, that's got to be ultimately repulsive to you. It's got to be done. But sometimes even the natural things in life, God fills you to such a degree that the thought of putting your focus and attention and affection on those things over him is repulsive to you. They're important and they're part of life and we got to keep doing them day to day, week to week. But compared to God, do you understand what I'm saying? Them in and of themselves is important to do. They're day to day living. You got to do day to day living. You can't be a hermit. But so that so they're not repulsive from that perspective. But compared to God, when he fills you and takes over your life. It can get to the place where even things that are not sinful and that are not weights, that are just normal day-to-day -day living, that those things seem like an enemy because all your, your desire is so deeply rooted in wanting Him and spending time with Him. 
I know it's hard for some of you to imagine, but it can get to the place. Not that the item, not that, not that going to the gym or going grocery shopping or doing this or that is wrong. We got to do it in life. But it can compared to God when you really know him. When he's truly taken over your life. Not just what we see in most people. He hasn't taken over them. He's just renting a spot in their hearts. But when he takes over their life and he consumes them. Even these things that are not in and of themselves wrong, they become enemies compared to the time that it takes away from him. They become repulsive compared to the time that they steal from spending time with him. And you still do them because you have to, but their excitement and their glitter and their glamour, their charm has lost it in your heart. Because you say, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm consumed. I'm consumed by you. I'm not, I don't even, what's happened to me? You know, and then the devil will say, oh, you're crazy. You're taking this too far. And then, of course, you'll put other people in your life to tell you how crazy you are and that you're taking it too far. But you know your own heart and you can't deny the Holy Ghost. And you know when he grabs you and when he fills you with himself and when over time, weeks and months and years, he becomes more and more and more and more and more important to you. I'm on that journey. I'm not where I need to be. He hasn't totally consumed me, but I promise you, my brother and sister, I'm on, I'm on the road. I may not have arrived yet. I don't know if any of us ever truly arrive, but I'm on the road. I'm getting there. So some of you, you know if you're rightly positioned. You know if you're a candidate for intercession because you already got that prayer life. Don't be surprised when the Holy Ghost comes on you like he did to me. Yield to it. Pray for the congregation. Are you listening to me? I'm speaking to you by the Spirit. Do not pray primarily for the city. Pray for the congregation. And pray for the ones that are called to be a part of this congregation but are not here yet pray for the ones that are here first pray for the ones that are called but have not arrived yet second don't pray for the city primarily because it has to start the Bible says with the house of God we have to it has to be formed and fashioned and in its infancy stage it has to be taken care of and that glory and that fire has to be tended to here then when it gets to a certain level, it will spill out over the walls and it will go. Do you understand? And that's, this is in line with what the word of God that he gave me about Hebron, because he said this season is primarily the deep inner workings of the Holy Ghost. Remember, David didn't have one occasion, not one skirmish, not one fight, not any interaction with any foreign nations. Everything was in his nation. And the Lord said to me, and the tribes, and getting unity and getting rightly positioned. And the Lord said to me, he said, this season will be a time where I deal with the congregation, where I deal with you, where I deal with motives, where I deal with hunger, where I get you ready. Then the next season, after he moved, after he went from Hebron to Jerusalem, immediately there was engagements with foreign nations. There was fighting, there was good things, bad things and everything in, in, in the middle, in, in between. And what God said to me is, as you come into this Jerusalem season, which is the next season, you're going to see that's when there's going to be this outpouring that hits the city. That, see, that represents David, his, 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 uh, his um, Israel and Judah. That represents his nation. That represents promise of life. It's internal. 
But then he hits Jerusalem and now things start happening outside his little group internationally, other nations. And the Lord said, that represents when the glory of God will begin to spill out outside the church and spill out into the world, into the nations. That, rep, that is for Jerusalem and that is the end time last day move of God. But that is reserved for that time. We're going to have tastes of it. We're going to have hors d'oeuvres, so to speak, of it in this season. But that is reserved for that time. So we will start to pray a lot more for the world and for the city and for revival. But we've got to focus our prayers and our attention and our weepings on this congregation. Because this is the season for a deep internal workings of the Holy Ghost in promise of life. And not just the 400 whatever people with children, 320 whatever it is with Adam. Not just these, but the many, many hundreds. And I'm telling you, there are hundreds of them. The many hundreds, far more are coming in this Hebron season than what we even have currently on the membership roll. The many hundreds that have yet to arrive that are still part of this promise of life cores, so to speak, that are going to be used as this core to flow out into the nations when we see this last day move of God. It is not just the 300 that we have. There are hundreds more coming. So pray for the ones we have and pray for the ones that are coming, but put your emphasis on our church and this internal working of the spirit more than on the city and on the nations and on revival. Focus on this because that is the focus right now in Hebron. And during some point in Hebron, it's going to shift. God's not going to wait to the very end and then say, now start praying. At some point in the seven and a half years, the shift, there's going to be more of a shift made where God is going to say, instead of 98% praying for your church and the internal stuff, I want you to now start to shift some of that prayer to begin to pray out for the city and da, da, da. And, that, and then he'll show us by the spirit how we're supposed to divide that and how much we're supposed to pray for the internal and how much we're supposed to pray for the external. But right now I know that the vast majority of our prayers, God may still come on some people to pray out for the city and for the nations but the vast majority of our time right now is praying for this congregation to get it praying that the praying the Pauline prayers that they would get it praying that they would be hungry praying that they would seek God praying that he would be he would consume them and that they would be that he would be one and only in their hearts that they would separate life and make sure that he is un that that that, that nothing is competing with him that is what we have to pray for the ones we have. And that is what we have to pray for the hundreds that have not yet arrived, but are still called to be the core of this church. So God is going to have some of you pray because you're positioned. Now, don't you dare judge anybody else. Just because you think they're carnal, you don't know. Some of them are broken. That's why they're not positioned. Just pray and don't judge and don't pass opinions. And others, yes, they are carnal. But you know what? You were carnal too one day. You weren't always just the way you are now. You were carnal too. How dare you judge the one that's carnal when you were carnal just a few months ago? Don't judge. Don't pass opinions. Just pray. Just pray. And let God deal with the precious ones that maybe aren't where they should be and maybe aren't positioned right right now. It's very dangerous that spiritual ones can get opinionated and can get, can get uh, accusatory and judgmental on the ones that are not spiritual. And nothing destroys a church faster than that spiritual pride. 
Nothing destroys and causes disunity more than spiritual pride. I'm better than you and can you believe how much I pray and you don't? You better stop that foolish nonsense. You better stop it, I'm telling you. The Holy Ghost won't put up with that and neither will I. It's about humility. Do you remember the four H's? We need them more than anybody else. A hunger for God. An honor for God and for the church and for tithing and for the pastor and for the vision. An honor for the office. A submission to spiritual fatherhood. We got to have it. A great humility, a great deep humility that is ultimately required and deep holiness where we cut things out. I'm not just talking about repositioning things that aren't wrong. I'm talking about taking things that are wrong, taking things that may not be sin, but they're weights, they're, they're, God says get rid of them. And not only having it in front of you, but removing it completely, getting it out of your life. There's some stuff that's always gonna be in your life because we live on this earth, but there's some stuff that shouldn't be in your life. It should be removed totally from the table. We've got to live holy. We've got to be humble. We've got to have honor. And I'm telling you, most important, we must have a hunger for God. Taylor, if somebody is hungry, if they're truly hungry, it's the greatest of the four H's. If they're truly hungry, it'll automatically take care of honor. Their hunger for God and their hunger for the Word, honor will come out of that. If they're truly hungry, humility, because the closer they get to God, their hunger drives them to God. The closer they get, the Holy Ghost reveals to them, you got to put yourself under, son. I, 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 I know the proud are far off, but I exalt the humble. Humility will come out of that. Holiness, if you're truly hungry for God and you want to get closer to Him, just getting closer to Him drives the sin out of your life. Holiness will come out of that. That is why God told Brother Hagin, I can't do what I did in the old days because the people are not hungry. What an indictment. What a revelation. Thank God that God told him that. I, he can pray. His leaders can pray. But if the people don't start to pray, God can only do as much as Brother Hagin and his leaders would, would, would break through on. He could never do the full because the people as a whole weren't hungry. God can only do so much based on what me and the ones that are positioned can pray out. But he can't do the full until the people are hungry. So we must pray. We must pray for deep, deep hunger for God. That, that, that thing that, that pushes everything out and it's just consumed with God himself. That anointing, that that desire from the spirit, that spiritual thing would come into every person in our church and the ones that haven't even arrived yet but are on the way. That we would have a congregation set apart for God. It's going to take something. It's going to take something great. It's 9.06. But I just need to... I just need to read this to you so that you... Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. In the in the early 30s of the verse there, it's verses that talks about Simeon. But I want to read you Luke 2, 36. 
And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanil, of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. That means she was married, obviously as a virgin, and she was married for seven years, then her husband died. Now listen now. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. That's 84 years, but pay attention. She was a widow for 84 years, meaning her husband had died. So you have to do three things to calculate Anna's age. We know that 84 years she was a widow without a husband. We know she was married for seven years. So 84 and seven is 91, correct? Now I've studied when, what the age was for you ladies, young ladies to get married at the time of Jesus. Men, I know people say it incorrectly, but according to history, young Jewish men, typically the earliest they would get married was about 16. The average age was 18 or 19 at the time of Jesus. They could get married earlier, but typically it was 16 to 19 was the average age according to theologians. But girls, was, that was not the case. Girls were permitted to be married at 13 years old and the average age of, of, of marriage for girls at the time of Jesus was 14 to 16. But many of them got married at 14. So if you take, even on the lower side so that we're not exagger exaggerating, if you just take 14 and say that Anna was married at 14 because that was the average age, 14 to 16 for young ladies at the time of Jesus, around that time. If you say, take that Anna was 14 when she got married and then you add seven years to that, that means that her husband died around 21 years old. And then you add from 21, you add 84 years old and what do you get? 105 years old. If she got married at 15, she'd be 106. If she got married at 16, she'd be 107. But just to keep the age as low as possible so that we're not exaggeratory, let's just assume that she was 105 years old. That was, that's why the Bible says she was of great age. Because 105 is of great age. Now I want you to notice this, and she was a widow of about four, 84 years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. She came in at that exact instant when Simeon was blessing the child. I want you to know that for 84 years from her virginity, I don't know how many years she was praying, but the Bible says that for 84 years from her end of her, of her marriage, she was a widow for 84 years. And the Bible give, gives the implication that she was constantly praying night and day, departing. It doesn't say how many years she was doing that, but I can promise you she was doing it for many of those 84 years. This lady was the gold platinum standard of prayer. She had given everything to God. She was totally subject to God. She was consumed with God, like Simeon was. And what was she doing? Paying a heavy price. Paying a heavy price year after year after year after year. It doesn't say how long she prayed. It just says how long she was a widow for.
and how long she was married. And we know approximately when they were married back then was about 14. Any later than 14, she would have been older than 105. The point is she was well over 100 years old. And we don't know exactly from the Bible, but year after year after year, she departed not from the temple, day and night, fasting and praying. What? For the redemption of Israel to come. Why do you think Jesus came at that time? Why? Why didn't he come 50 years later or 50 years earlier? He came at that time. Why was it called the fullness of time? He came at that time because people paid a heavy price and they birthed him in prayer. Anna and Simeon are mentioned, but there may have been many others we don't know about. But we know of these two. They were praying and seeking God and even God gave Simeon the word and said you're old but you won't die till you see the Messiah he's holding on month after month year after year I'm holding on there was great prayer great price heavy price being paid and that is why when God found intercessors standing in the gap making up the path making up the hedge making a way for the entrance of his son into the earth that's why Jesus came then that's why it wasn't later or earlier. It was because those people were praying and making a way for him to come. If we will pray and make a way for God, if we will pray night and day, fastings and prayers, if we will seek God and put him first, if we will do it as a congregation, God will look down and he'll see the people praying and it will cause the birthing of this move of God. I'm telling you, I take it very seriously what he said to Dad Hagen. It's a very sobering thought that a man of that caliber, a titan of ministers, with all his praying and all his fasting, God still could not and would not do in the services what he wanted to do. Because just because he and some of the leadership were really hungry and really praying, the people in general were cold. The people in general were there for a show. The people in general did not have God consuming them. They were not hungry. And God said, I cannot. But in the early days, even when Brother Hagin didn't have all the knowledge and all the growth and all, I mean, he was a much stronger minister spiritually in the latter life than he was in the earlier life because it's a journey. But even with all his imperfections in the early years, look what God did, the great miracles God did. Why? Not because Brother Hagin was so perfect, but because the people were hungry. And when people are hungry, God overlooks a myriad of problems and he, and he comes with a consuming fire and he visits the people. It's not about us being perfect. It's about us being hungry. Yes, I'm not giving justification for sin. We got to be holy too. But you understand, God will overlook things when he sees hunger. We've got to develop a hunger for God. And he interrupted me tonight. Not just with a statement, but with the anointing that was almost overwhelming. Will you pray for them, son? Will you pray for them with weepings and intercessions? Will you let me flow through you? I'm giving you a tiny fleck, a tiny grain of sand of my heart and my sadness. The people don't seek me and don't hunger for me with all their hearts. How you feel, which seems so big to you, is how I feel times a trillion. I want them to want me. I want them to put me first. If they will, they will not be disappointed. I will come in glorious power. But they must hunger for me if you're going to see all that I have for you. If they won't, 
I'll go as far as I can because you're hungry and some of your people are hungry and some of your leadership is hungry, but I can't do all that I want if the people at large are cold. Pray for them, son, that they would be hungry for me, that I would come into their life with such a fire that it would push everything out and that they would be consumed with me. Have your people, tell your people that I'm going to come on them the way I'm coming on you and that they're going to, I'm expecting them to pray without judgment, without, without, without judging people. I'm expecting them just simply to pray with humility, pray because some of them are positioned. I can use them. And when they pray for the congregation, it allows me, it allows me to impart things to people that otherwise they wouldn't get because waiting for them to seek me, they just won't do it. But if the people will pray, I can bypass their laziness and I can drop things in them because of the saints' intercession. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is an amazing way to bypass people's carnality when other people pray for them. I've seen so many times where God has intervened. The person didn't deserve it, not one lick. But because somebody prayed, God overlooked their carnality and the fact that they didn't deserve it. And in and of themselves, they didn't deserve it. They hadn't sought God. They hadn't done anything according to the word right. But God intervened with great power because people prayed. I'm telling you, he wants to do that in our midst. Not just for the ones here, but for the hundreds that are coming that don't, that don't know that they're coming, but they're coming. Praise God. Will you receive that this evening? I said, Lord, I'll talk about it on Sunday. I said, Lord, I'll talk about it another time. You told me to keep teaching on this finances. You said you're not done with the congregation on the finances. But I've learned something about God. God knows what he said. I don't have to remind him. God knows that he said he's not finished with the congregation about finances, so I'll pick it up on Friday. But when he, I said, Lord, just let me talk about it later. But that anointing wouldn't let me go. It wouldn't let me go. It would not let me go. And I said, Lord, if you don't let me go, I can't preach. I just felt the Holy Ghost say, son, that's not what you're doing tonight. I need you to say this to the people. I need this to go on record to the people. I need them to hunger after me with all their hearts so I can move the way I want to move. Praise you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your precious people. I thank you for those that are positioned, that are spiritual, Use them, Lord. Father, let it be done to us according to thy word. Your word is good to us. We receive it. We're hungry for it. Use me and others to pray out for the ones that maybe are not positioned. Not with judgment or condemnation, but with great humility. For we were not always positioned either, Father. And Father, for the ones that are broken, for the ones that are carnal, for the ones that are just cold, Father, bypass their coldness because of our prayers and plant something in them. Lord, let every member of this church and every member that's coming, let this, let this burning fire start to rise up within them. It might start as a spark, but let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let them fan it. Let it grow and let them fan it. And let it begin to push out of them all things that are not you. Things that are sinful, things that are weights let it be removed completely but even things that are normal and that are fine let them find their right place in their lives father so that nothing would compete with that master path with that deep desire to wait on you to pray and to seek you seven days a week every day without rest without vacation a desire that wants you more than anything else in life and will 
pray that out and hunger for you and seek you every day, seven days a week. Not just when we're meeting with the congregation, but all the time because the hunger, the hunger is so deep within us. We're consumed by you. Lord, this is the beginning of something great. Hallelujah. I give you praise. Let it be sealed in their hearts now in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name.